starts already. I love it. Um, welcome, everybody. I am Jamie Kalon, and welcome to the Marketeers Clubhouse. Today in the clubhouse, uh, we have a long-standing friend of both myself and Mark, my guest host today. Uh, Julia Lavecchio, I met you when I was about 16. You were uh, dating a person that I was working with at a bicycle store at the time and you were as cute as a button and still are and I absolutely am attracted to you because you're super positive and friendly and kind and somehow growing up in Calgary we both ended up in the marketing world which is really strange me you and Mark and we all kind of know each other from very similar circumstances so you're a mountain biker you're a skier uh, you're an all-around fantastic athlete. Um, you've had this great career where you've sort of worked at a, multiple different types of roles. You've been in an agency. Uh, you're doing pure marketing in the tourism world, which I know very little about, which I'm going to quiz you a ton of things on today. i got so many questions. Um, welcome. Uh, can, do you mind giving us a quick breakdown of where you came from. We're sitting in Calgary. You're in Banff, Alberta today. Uh, beautiful, the gem of the Canadian Rockies. Um, Mark and I are in Calgary and we all grew up in this neck of the woods. Um, how did you get to where you are? Like, what's the young Jules story? Uh, young Jules story would probably start actually with my father, Sal, uh, being at McGill, meeting my mother. And then in 1978, dragging her kicking and screaming from the city of Montreal back to his homeland of Calgary, Alberta, which was then a city of maybe a quarter of a million people. Um, and promising her that he was going to show her this wonderful life uh, in the mountains. And she was like, where are you taking me? And, uh, uh, I would say I have the beauty of being both a Flames fan and a Habs fan. Grew up with having my summers in Quebec and my winters in Alberta. Um, and my dad was hell bent on having kids that skied and played in the mountains. Every weekend we went up to Lake Louise. I Grew up ski racing. Um, dad was a very early adopter of using alternative methods uh, to access powder. And I think that sort of created a, a, a deep, deep love for me of, of being in the mountains. Um, you left out mountain biking somehow in all of that. I don't know how you left that out, but... I believe mountain biking also fits in the middle here somewhere because it's about yeah. the cool all the sports. So, I mean, I live in Banff now, and I spent twenty years living in in Canmore, um, where I, yeah, I, I fell deeply in love with mountain biking. I would say I spend a lot of time on my road bike now, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, summertime riding mountain bike is attuned to skiing pow in the winter for me. Uh, I get to go do really long, steep climbs and then hopefully uh, ride a really amazing 
piece of single track. I think there's something that I would tie into my business world of working really, really hard and, and digging deep that I have in my recreational world. I, I like working hard and I kind of like suffering. So. You love to suffer. Yeah. You also, <laughs> your boyfriend at the time, Eric Kramer, he is nothing but suffer as a boyfriend, I would assume. So it started early for you, even in, in picking someone to date for a, a few months to a year. Um, so you, your family brought you here. Um, you guys fell in love with the mountains. How did you end up in uh, the world of marketing? Because you had a fairly long time, about five years-ish at Critical Mass, which is a fantastic uh, agency in Calgary that specializes in the digital world. Uh, they build websites and, and apps and all sorts of different neat things. Um, how did you end up there? I ended up there uh, actually sort of a strange... Strange path. Ultimately, I think um, where my talent lies is in understanding audience and message. And whether that is through my years as an environmental consultant for the National Park Ski Areas uh, and various businesses around Banff, um, doing more on the environmental side, and then um, sort of going back to school and doing my master's in GIS. Coming out of it, I realized that GIS enabled, enables people to, to take very complex subject matter. Um, basically anything on earth has an X and Y coordinate, which enables you to, to tell a story about everything that stacks on top of that from an environmental perspective. And you, uh, what's GIS for, for those information systems. There uh, we go. So anytime you've got any kind of information on the earth, um, you can tell a story with it through mapping. Um, so I went back to school to do my master's. And when I, as I was uh, defending my master's and my, my final exam, uh, they were like, so what are you, you, know, you going to do with this? And I said, oh, I'm going to go and work for a hat company. And that was Ambler uh, Mountain Works at the time, based in Canmore. And uh, I realized that storytelling was actually more my forte than science. Uh, I appreciate science. I love science, but I think I think the 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 message and the meaning behind what kind of information you were talking about at a certain time is really where my where my passion is. So I left, uh, spent some time working for Ambler. Went through a pretty tr tragic experience at that organization. Lost two of my business partners. Um, in a car accident and uh, n not only grew the business significantly, not only did we survive, but we grew the business significantly uh, in the few years afterwards. But that was, it was a very tough time in my life. And uh, I think ultimately in order to move through that uh, trauma, I needed to go and find something else to do. Um, both the CEO at the time, Diane Wilkins at, at uh, Critical Mass, uh, her father and my father were on the bench together. They were both uh, federal court justices and and both our dads were like, you know, you guys should really meet each other. And so I sat down with Di for a lunch um, one day and, and talked to her about sort of, you know, what I thought about the world. 
And Diane was like, you know, we really need someone that can focus on helping us from an internal brand perspective, get alignment as an organization for every day of the year. At that time, that would have been in 20, I don't, know, 20, I don't even know what 2006, I think it was. Anyways, um, uh, for every day of the year that Critical Mass operated, they hired a person and they were they were, they were dealing with such massive growth and, and a bit of, uh, of lack of continuity uh, around how they operated as an organization um, and how people identified with as being an employee. And so I got brought on really to focus on that. And uh, I think we did a really good job. We launched a new brand, internal brand for the organization. I spent a lot of time working with the executive team on what it meant to be an employer. And uh, yeah, I'd say critical mass is as strong as it's ever been now. Um, I'm obviously not there anymore. But uh, but I had a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. There's such a cool and incredible agency operating and really competing against Madison Avenue, but they're based in Calgary. So there was kind of like a little bit of a engine that could. Um, yeah, Calgary's got a bunch of that kind yeah. of small um, companies with a really solid fuck you attitude to the bigger cities that just keeps driving. There's In, in fact, it's interesting. There's a couple... Um, a couple people I know that have been super successful and have washed themselves fairly clean of their Calgary roots. And I actually find it distressing. It bugs me. Um, and I won't bring up exactly who it is, but there's a, there's more than one. And I just find, um, like Calgary was so nurturing, nurturing to so many people and to the, all these people at the same time. Um, I always find it slightly sad that they abandon it and don't spread it back. So, you know, sometimes when you make a bunch of success, it's good to bring along the city that you grew in that let you do it. Um, so it's, it's awesome that, uh, critical mass exists here. I talk about them a bunch, uh, in the world of what Calgary is because they're a great example of it. So it's, it's very cool. We're not here for the high rollers, snooty wine critics, or long-haul collectors, but we do think it's about time wine sellers turned into swoon-worthy works of art. Our experienced designers will bring your dream wine cellar to life, fitting any sized space and aesthetic requirements in your home. Our craftsmen carefully hand-build your cellar to give you a wine storage space that really feels like you. Visit themoderncellar.com for more information. Um, so you spent a, a ton of time at Critical Mass. Um, you then end up in the tourism world, back in back in out in Banff. Um, how did you? Where are you now? Where are you working? What do you do? What is the company? Maybe give me a quick brief and give everyone a quick brief of what the company you work for now does. Um, I. Uh have the great fortune of being the director of marketing for CMH Heli Skiing and Summer Adventures. Uh, CMH is the original uh, heli skiing organization. We created the, the whole industry um, in 1965. Uh, it was founded by a gentleman, Austrian guide named Hans Moser and his partner, Leo Grillmeyer. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, to be able to work for a brand that 
as a skier, uh, I would say it's very difficult to go anywhere in the world and talk to a passionate skier and they don't know the CMH brand. So it's a huge honor for me to be able to represent that organization. I've been there for almost eight years now. And um, yeah, sort of trans transitioning into tourism. When I was when I was working at Critical Mass, I was spending three days a week commuting into the city. And you know, like you said, Jamie, I I I love Calgary. Calgary's a great great place, wonderful place to have grown up in. Um, it's really is a city of opportunity. Uh, but I was feeling very disconnected to my home in the Bow Valley. I would leave three days a week. And then the other two, I'd be sitting at my house working and, uh, and I didn't feel any connection to, to that place anymore. And so when I left, uh, critical mass, I was looking for opportunities to get reconnected with, with the Bow Valley. And, and I've had a great fortune to have a number of mentors, um, in the community for several years that said, "Oh, Oh, you need to talk to this person. That seems to be the way the Bow Valley works is you don't really apply for jobs. You just kind of fall into them. <laughs> it sounded a, sound a little familiar, Mark Walton. I, I believe that entire component, the being just, just a little bit. Yeah. Few yeah. People, few people I know of have uh, gone that route for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mark, give us a little background. Cause I don't think a ton of people know exactly like what's your Bow Valley story. Where you come from? Uh, born and raised in, in Canmore, Alberta. Um, and you need uh, to explain Banff Canmore. Most people don't know exactly how these things like they're on top of each other, separated by a mountain basically. But, um, there's a distinct difference of a, with the park. Can you guys explain sort of the, the yeah. a little bit? So Canmore is, uh, closer to Calgary. Banff is another, uh, 20 ish kilometers further along, uh, Canmore is outside of the national park. Um, it was originally a mining town, uh, and then sort of commercialized, uh, around the 88 Olympics when the Nordic skiing portion of the, uh, of the Olympics happened there. And it has since turned into a crazy, uh, tourism hub, I guess, and a, uh, great place for Calgarians to own a, uh, a weekend place. Um, it is substantially different now than, than, uh, what <laughs> I grew up in. And, you know, I would say Jules from, from what you lived in as well. And the, the small community aspect of Canmore, I think is, uh, mostly gone from, from when I was there. And, and, um, I think you get a, a better community sense in Banff, um, or maybe that's just, just the people I know, but. Uh, I, you feel like you get less weekenders in Banff, um, and, a, and an actual better core of, of people that live there and then, and take part in, in the community. So that's really uh, interesting. Yeah. And Banff, I mean, Banff has, uh, something that they call the need to reside, which basically means you can own a house in Banff, but in order to live in Banff, you need to work in Banff. Uh, so that has really kept the community very small and very tight. Um, it's something that's quite unique and different and special about this place. Uh, the reason why I left Canmore and moved to Banff was actually exactly because of that. I, I wanted to be somewhere where, uh, the, the town I lived in had a really, really 
like hardcore identity, not that the identity is hardcore, but they actually have a core uh, raison d'etre. And, and I would say most people in Banff understand why they're there, that they live and work in an internationally recognized destination in uh, a fully protected park. Um, and that makes Banff really special. Yeah, Banff's crazy. It's it's funny because Mark, when I first met you, um, I was going to the Bow Valley a ton, and I'm born and raised in Calgary. And I would tour to, you know, out to Banff to do things and out to Canmore to do things. And there was a really, really strong Canmore didn't love Banff kind of vibe from like, you know, ah, the Banff kids, and you know, like there was this little animosity between the two. You are you you were steadfast Canmore and now you are very much a Banff person and there's been this interesting switch and the dichotomy of Canmore being outside the park and being a mining town they were digging holes in the ground they were blowing shit up you can build anything just about anywhere as long as you put a wooden sign on it <laughs> there's like some some restrictions kind of got to look like an alpine thing but you want to build a giant condo complex go for it in canmore banff you can't build anything you can't buy more property you can't do anything there and there's this really protectionist vibe that goes on the only thing that i can put against it that's even similar is the uh, french language in quebec they're so protective of what they do with their culture um, banff has got its own massive amount of protection and in some instances for like the ski hills uh and development it's a nightmare if you're trying to develop things because of the restrictions but as far as a community to what you were saying jules um it's just better like it's pure it's clean everyone understands the game and it just it's, it's really interesting but these two things they're so different but they sit side by side so you end up with a crazy mix of people in canmore uh and then very purest sort of community in, in Banff that just gets mobbed with tourists though consistently. So it's like, it's kind of a wild area. I don't know if you guys recognize that anymore, but it is like so original and crazy uh, and beautiful. Um, so knowing that that's where you guys live and we're in the, basically in the world of ski, Jules, you're charged with selling re really, really expensive. And I, I say this in like the scale of trips a human could take. I can drive somewhere and take a holiday. I can fly to Mexico and take a holiday. I can spend a bit more money and go to Italy. You're selling a really expensive thing within a country and people have to get over here and you're selling it to a fairly high-end consumer. Um, what is like, you guys have, are the originators of this you're bringing people over for a sporting activity because it is like even if it's a really mellow day like it's like the consequences are real like this is not like of course there's easier runs and stuff but most people that are coming are like okay put me in the deep put me on something steep let's go um how do you how are you guys marketing out to this, how does like, I don't understand how your business works in general. You guys are putting helicopters in the air with 10 people on it and being very successful in doing it. Um, 
Can you give everybody, myself included, because I just don't know how do how do you find your customers? How do you uh, express the consumer experience that they're going to have? Like, I would assume there's a fairly uh, like conversational thing that would happen. Like, I can't imagine that most people just click buy online and don't somehow call and ask a bunch of questions. How do you guys do that? How do you, how do you manage the customers? How do you find them? Cause I got to assume they're coming from everywhere. Yeah. So our customer base is, well, pre pandemic, our customer base was about 60% um, European. Uh, let's see. Well, we'll say 55% European, uh, 40% uh, American, and the balance was Australia and Canada and the rest of the world. That, that is tipped a little bit further even to, um, to North America, well, to America. Um, we're, we're not seeing Europeans come back as quickly as we're seeing everybody else. I think there's a variety of factors there. Um, heli skiing is and really helicopter hiking, helicopter access, anything is the most ridiculous business to be in. I don't think anyone would ever be like, okay, we're going to put a bunch of wealthy um, people into a flying tin can, fly them to the top of a mountain, drop them off with two people that know what they're doing, uh, and then hurl them down uh, <laughs> the mountain um, and hopefully they'll they'll make it, not injure themselves, whatever, whatever. And uh, we're going to get back up and do it again. It's a highly, highly operationally intense, intensive business. We, um, at any given moment, have somewhere in the range of uh, 450 to 500 guests in the field during the winter. That reduces significantly. Go back to that number. You have 500, 400 to 500 active guests. So we, we have 12 lodges. Uh, across the interior of British Columbia, operating, you know, beginning of December through to the 1st of May. Some, depending on where the those lodges are located, they may have a shortened season. Some might start, you know, mid-December and just go to March, et cetera. But, uh, you know, we have anywhere from 33 or 10, 33 or 44 guests at our lodges, variety of different types of programming, et cetera. But you can do the math and sort of the height of our operating season, say end of January, early February, we get a lot of people in the field uh, every day. We're the largest employer of got professionally certified guides in the world. Uh, hmm. I think this year it's around 180 guides. guides. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a really big operation. So from a, you know, from a brand perspective, we come down to sort of four key pillars that that you know we believe is the is the ethos of why you would choose to come heli skiing, and actually it translates quite well into the summer as well. Um, first is that kind of epic joy um, that people experience when they are skiing and riding powder. I think it's mm -hmm. uh, it's really a, a highly youthful, childlike. Hmm. feeling um yeah. that no matter you know no matter whether you're the president or or ceo of a of a of a country or an organization um or if you're the person that cleaned the toilet this morning um you, you share that joy and you can hug and high five 
everyone at the bottom of the run. And and that's the same when you're wandering out in the, in the Alpine in the summertime, it's just this um, really pure, unadulterated feeling of, of joy. So that's sort of the first um, uh, brand pillar that we lean into a lot. Uh, the second one is, is that camaraderie uh, that you feel when you're in the mountains together. Uh, you know, I think the three of us could share that, that we ourselves when we're on a mountain bike ride or on a, on a road ride, uh, when you get to the top of a big climb or you have some super beautiful descent, um, that, I don't know, there's something that changes you and it, and, and it deepens, deepens your relationship with the people that you're around. And again, doesn't matter what your income is, doesn't matter what your background is, um, just spending time in the mountains. Uh, you you build this beautiful relationship. Our lodges are designed. We don't have TVs in in the rooms. We don't really even have that much music at the bars. We our lodges are created to to sit down and actually speak to one another at, at night. Um, and that's a, a pretty incredible thing. Sitting at a table with ten other people that are from around the world with so many different backgrounds. Um, yeah, you just develop these really interesting friendships. Um, the third one is actually, and again, it, they're, they're linked is that like really transformative power of the mountains. Um, I think it's why probably Mark's parents chose to move to, to Canmore originally. It's why my parents brought us back to Calgary in, in the, in the seventies. And it's why I've chosen to live where I live is, is mountains change you. They, they get into you and they get they get into your soul and you, you are forever changed. They, they give you a humility that I don't think you can experience in the city. Um, yeah. yeah. I'd and then with really you're your best self when you're, when you're there, um, <laughs> check, check your ego, check your, uh, your mobile device, check everything at the door and just be present and come and enjoy, enjoy your time with us. So that's really our, um, we, we go to market with those, those four things. Um, and we build pretty much all of our content around that. From brand development to simple market executions, 54 Blue helps brands of all sizes grow with sustainability in mind. Their full stack range of services include print, fabrication, design, web, interactive, content marketing, brand consulting, creative strategy, and more. Join some of the world's largest brands and lean on 54Blue for your next go-to-market. Visit 54Blue.com for more information. So when you guys are distributing content, is it mostly online or are you guys hitting European trade shows like, like tourism shows overseas? Or are you guys just, you have people coming to you consistently um, so that you guys, like you're basically busy enough just taking inbound traffic. Yeah. I mean, I think that the industry prides itself on saying that we don't need to market. I think that's not in fact true. (laughs) (laughs) I would say every member of my team would say that's not, uh, not true. Um, We do a variety of different executions. Um, We put on our own private events uh, throughout North America and then in Europe and then uh, and in other parts of the world, we have a, a uh, an incredible network of agents and in-market representatives that uh, that help 
to connect and make relationships within the markets that we uh, play in. Uh, our strategy has always been to fish where the fish are. You know, we focus on really spending uh, our efforts and, and making more efforts in the markets that we believe are already producing for us uh, because we're so, relatively speaking, we are small. Um, you know, you look at a market like, say, Germany or a market like Colorado, where you've got this high, high concentration of passionate outdoor people. There is no reason for us to then go and try and develop a market like Florida. Um, we may as well just focus on converting more people in those markets because the chances that they actually know we exist is even higher. Um, and the Flor Floridians, unfortunately, they fly over all their second homes in the uh, in the U.S. Rockies to get to Canada. So it's not that we're not bothering Floridians. We love the Floridians, but uh, but we focus more on uh, on the markets that we that we believe can convert faster. Um, we have a full blown digital strategy, event strategy. Um, we produce a ton of our own content, whether that's feature length films, um, short form films. We rely massively on our email database. Um, you know, it's pretty, pretty omni-channel, I would say, but trade shows we do not typically go to. So when you guys are doing this, you just mentioned that you guys are tracking a ton of stuff. What's your, um, like, do you, do you bring athletes in uh, or bring film crews in uh, specifically to get promo and access their social and show the beautiful train that you guys have access to? What is, you know, I, I know the answer to the, the to this is yes, you do. Uh, but how effective is that transient ambassador that you can get? Cause they end up being an ambassador of some variety. So I, I would assume that's a, whether it's Warren Miller or, um, you know, that style crew or like a really core snowboard kind of crew, how does that affect your business? Do you see actual bumps when that footage comes out and those movies and, and stuff get made? I mean, it's hard because number one, we have an extremely long uh, booking window, uh, typically 18 months. You, you know, our guests book ahead of time. Then we also will say it takes on average about 22 months from first brand interaction till, till actually booking. And that I would say is like, that's, you know, so that's a three year process, right? Big time. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we're, you know, when we have someone like a Travis Rice come in to, to film or, uh, we've put on GoPro athlete camps before that the content that, that those kinds of people, content creators are putting out is really important for our next generation, um, guests. So that might be, they may, they may not book for another 10 years. Um, but it's about us being relevant to them, uh, so that we get into their brains and they'll keep you know, keep us in their, on their bucket list until they had amass enough wealth to actually be able to, to be able to convert. I mean, you know, the reality is this is not a, it's not a cheap vacation. Um, then within that, uh, you know, sort of the, the more mature uh, uh, demographic that can convert within that three-year sort of window, our focus is really on sort of very high touch, 
um, small interactions. That's why we rely heavily on our on our sales teams that are out in the market. They're putting on small dinners. They're taking group skiing. Um, they are, you know, it is very much one-to-one. Um, but from an ambassador perspective, and even from a content creation perspective, we probably say no to 99% of the inquiries that come in. Well, um, I'm assuming you get a crazy number of them because everybody wants a heli trip. There's no doubt about that. So, because yep. um, it's, it's super dope. Um, have you guys drilled this down to an average cost of acquisition for these customers? And you don't have to give it up or not, but have you guys actually, as a, a marketing company, have you drilled down to that or do you just assume uh, a number for it and accept it? Have you guys? We, we have, um, but I would say it's not a focus of ours. We know, we know the number. Um, we know that it's, it's not a small number. But ultimately, the lifetime value of a guest, because two out of three people that come to CMH will come back in their lifetime, uh, we're willing to spend that cost of acquisition because typically they'll stay with us year over year or at least, you know, probably every three years um, for the rest of their skiing career. We have guests. And I'm sure. That... Oh, I'm go sure. Ahead. Uh, uh, you know your rate of return is, has got to be huge. And, and just about every year um, that person comes back and they have told two more friends and, or, I mean, they've probably told 20 of their friends, but they've convinced two more to come. And, and I'm sure so many of those, those trip sizes are just like, yeah, we were 10 last year. Now we're 14. And, and, you know, eventually those split off and, and now like you have two friend groups bringing, bringing that over the year. So, you know, the, the initial, the initial onboard of, of each customer, you know, it's, it is probably worth it when, you know, you, they bring over the next 15 years, they bring 30 of their friends in. Right. So. Absolutely. In fact, we, we compensate our, call them a group organizer quite handsomely. Um, nice. because we know that their, you know, their word of mouth is so much more worth it for us than going to a trade show, for example. Well, that's uh, huge. After like things are getting back going fairly well for you guys after the pandemic now, um, how, like, what's the best way to say this? What, uh, is, what is your return? Like how many of those guests have you seen come back and how many new guests have you had to go and, and fill those spots? Cause the Europeans aren't just coming like they used to. Uh, demand is through the roof. Our awesome. guests have been, I, I would actually say the most beautiful thing is something that's been uh, really heartwarming for us was watching our guests being so worried about us over the last few years. Are you okay? We did a, we, we did a April Fool's joke where we, we fake sold the Bugaboos, which was our original lodge. And, <laughs> uh, and the number of emails that we got from guests being like, do you need, do you need us? Do you need money? Do you like, what do you need? So this is horrible. And we were like, no, we're, we're, we're joking. Um, but it was really beautiful to see. And they can't wait. Um, they, you know, they walk into the lodges and hug all the, all the staff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, is it the, the, the current economy is a, is a bit of a concern for us, for sure probably our most price conscious guests, which I would say are arguably the sort of the last two seats in the helicopter. 
Um, you know, they're the ones that are probably having getting impacted by what's going on right now. So that is a that is a concern for us. Um, That's but, a, I want to dive into that for a sec, Jules. So yeah. when someone goes to book a helicopter, there's what, 11 seats, 10 seats, something like that. Yep. OK, so you all have a group of eight. Uh, sign up potentially years in advance. And then you're sitting there with a couple seats or a single seat available as an opportunity buy for someone who's just like, you know what, I got a week of, you know, uh, I might go and go do a quick heli thing and, and take advantage of this. Do those last two seats go at a lower discount because they're an opportunity buy? Do they, so the answer is no, you're shaking your head. Um, how often do you have a single seat free on like it's pro I'm assuming it's fairly rare. It's pretty rare. It depends on, depends on the time of year, uh, you know, mid January through to, through to mid March, there's not very many single seats left at, um, December and April are, are kind of our hardest or more difficult times to sell. Uh, I think in December people, especially for those final two seats, they're like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm in shape yet. I don't know whether I don't, I, I, I have, don't have enough days under my belt. I'm a little bit worried about coming heli skiing in December. And then in April um, where, you know, in Canada it is still very much winter. A lot of people have moved on to their, uh, to their spring sports, whether that's riding their bikes or going golfing or, you know, whatever. Uh, people don't really think of April in in many other parts of the world as still being winter, so it's difficult for us to sell those. Um, but we try very, very hard to not discount our products. Um, Which I, I'm assuming you can get away without having to discount. It's a super premium thing. It's funny because I just I can't help but think you guys are running kind of a messed up hotel it's multiple hotels but like let's just pretend it's one and what you're really doing if if this was like mexico what you're really worried about is you're selling the banana boat ride or, or the paragliding as the premium thing but this activity is like it's not bungee jumping this is like a legit real thing so your business practice is is so different um and you've already expressed that the lodges themselves uh are uniquely different. It's more on, it's quieter. It's more, you're in the mountains for real. Um, what's the, um, like, what's the food like? What's the, I've, I have, I've been to a cat operation, but I haven't, uh, and I got a few reasons why I haven't helied. Um, and I know the lodge experience at Island Lake where I went cat was very, very cool. And it was amazing. Um, how many chefs do you guys have? What's the stat? Like, how does this all function? Like you don't have one master chef, uh, that, you know, is going to be running the hotels, uh, meals. You've got multiples of these things. So how does the hotel lodge experience for the consumer? What is that? Like, cause you're selling that as well. It's yeah, you're, you're coming for the heli, but you're going to be spending a really interesting amount of time uh, recuperating, getting ready for the next day and enjoying this facility. So like, do you guys have on-site massage? Do you guys have like, how does this, how does it work? Is each one of the 
lodges slightly different in the amenities that are available. Like what's the breakdown on that? Uh, so interestingly enough, we, we often say people come for the ski, skiing, but they come back because of the staff um, and all those other additional amenities. Uh, the skiing kind of is sort of the obvious. Um, yeah, each of our lodges, depending on where they are. So we have fly in, we have roadside, we have in town experiences. So Kootenay and Revelstoke are, are in the towns of Nakusp and, and Revelstoke. Um, the Gothics and the Monashies, which are north of Revelstoke, you can drive to, uh, Adamant's, Bobby Burns, Bugaboo's are all heli access, Galena's heli access, as is the Caribou's. Um, so logistically, uh, really complex business again for distributing food and humans uh, to go and, and service those guests. Uh, we have a team of, of a head chef, uh, I think two assistants, um, a baker, uh, as well as a few kitchen assistants that will help the guests for preparing their lunch in the field and breakfasts. Um, all of this is down to every single bottle of beer is taken into the backcountry either on a vehicle in the fall when we do massive load-ins or on a weekly basis through a helicopter. And, uh, um, you know, I would say we, we, dine, we dine as a family. Um, we do not have a, this is not white glove service model. It is very attentive and very, um, you know, incredibly delicious and hearty food, but it is, it is, uh, the intention is to be very familial as well. Uh, so it's not fancy. It's just fabulous. It's fabulous. I'm assuming though that that's what everyone wants. You're not like you're with Gen, like you're either there with a friend. I'm sure the number of people that are solo there is small, but at that point, they just want to be included with the rest of the group. And then there's the large group that would probably be the majority of the booking for that lodge at the time or multiple groups if it's one of the bigger lodge. And at that point, they all just want to tell their stories and high five at night and play, you know, play a quick game of poker and hit the hay because they've got another crazy day coming their way, um, which to me just sounds like heaven um, because you're, you're wrapped in like fabulousness. The skiing's amazing. You're in a multi, multi million dollar thing flip, you know, flying around. Everything is exciting. It's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But you know, that Jamie, the thing that's been really, was interesting through COVID is, um, you know, just to kind of control illness and the risk of illness, we we didn't dine with our guests this last winter and, and over this last summer and the summer previous. Um, and that was something that our guests mentioned to us. They really, really, they missed being at the table with everybody. Um, it's something that they said as part of that, uh, you know, the, the hot magic that we uh, get to sell. And so I think that's... Um, I think that's a really, really integral part of, of our business. And actually coming out of COVID, we were like, do we, do we go back to dining together? And, and we, we said, absolutely. It's super yeah. That it, it, nobody wants to go and uh, go and tour and stay a few nights at a working ranch and not be able to eat dinner with the Cowboys. 
That's Absolutely. part of it. Like that, that is literally why you're there is to get the stories and to talk and learn about these people. Anyone who's not doing that kind of traveling, I'm assuming is just going to go to an all inclusive where they can be anonymous and just sit there and enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those. They're just definitively different people. And, and again, you're dealing with an economic range of consumer that is generally fairly high. Um, and they, they have, I'm sure, enough of that, like, fancy dinner served by myself and, you know, like, no, the waiter doesn't talk to me. They're just magically there all the time. They're looking for something else. And that something else is uh, organic mountain community and health and all the stuff that's wrapped in that, which to me is, that would be the most amazing thing ever. It's um, totally profound. Um, our guests can go anywhere. They can do anything. They have homes all over the world and they, this is the one trip that they like truly, truly rearrange their lives around to come every year. And that's like, to me, that is like, that's a reason for me to get up out of bed every morning is yeah. extremely important people choose to be with us because they love us so much. Does your brand need some help in the trade marketing department? Manage your sales tools with regulators easy to use features. Whether it's fixtures or displays, POP, custom art or promo products, you can submit single or bulk orders for all your locations within minutes, using a simple, streamlined process. Deliver content, manage your budget and view the market, all from the palm of your hand. Move up to 10 times faster than your competitors and capture all the opportunities that put your brand on top. Visit brandregulator.com for more information. Do you guys ever shut down? Like, do you ever have like just a ridiculous Uber star coming and you guys got to keep kind of things quiet and they're private jetting in, private car out? Uh, and it's like, okay, don't, don't tell anybody, but Mark Walton's coming this trip and Mark shows up and everyone flips out at the lodge. Do you guys keep those kind of things fairly under control that, that when, you know, someone really famous shows up, which I'm assuming happens, whether it's a super high end, uh, business person, actor, entertainer, some variety, I got to assume you guys are seeing, like a really wide group of people. And at the table that you could be sitting at, you're probably with a leader of industry, uh, some sort of, and you know, like everyone's kind of mega is my f internal feeling uh, of this because of just the economics of sort of <laughs> what it's going to take to get there. It's not cheap. Yes. <laughs> that was actually how I was picturing your response was just, yes. <laughs> Yes, that happens. Jules, um, what's the what's the longest that somebody has been coming? Take the pandemic years out of it, but like how is there someone who's like 40 plus years at this point? Or what do you think you're at? I would say I think we're at 35, maybe 40, 35. Um, you know, you, you consider typically in order to, you know, passion, skill, access to resources, permission from your wife, uh, in those four factors, you're looking at probably around 45 to 50 
around entry into the heli skiing, uh, heli snowboarding market. So you're sorry, 45 or 50. Are you talking age? Age. Yeah. So, so, you know, you probably have about a 25 year window where you're still going to keep coming. Right. All those factors fall into the right spot. Yeah. And, And I mean, we all know this, that your body slows down. And uh, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Fat skis have been an incredible, incredible invention for our industry. Uh, that has kept the fat ski has kept people skiing longer um, than ever. But yeah, I mean, and some of those guests that I said have spent, you know, 30 years with us, they've probably transitioned to summer as well. They'll hike with mm-hmm. us now. Um, but yeah, but the the most vertical skied, uh, we have one guest right now who I think is at 21 million. Uh, highest <laughs> ever is 26 million vert. Wow. Uh, and that's vertical feet. Um, yeah. I don't think 26 will ever be beat, quite honestly. Yeah, that's aggressive. That guy, that guy used to move into the Monashies and he had his own room. And he would just with us all the time. Wow. Yeah. Um, what happens when the snow is bad and someone's just like booked their, uh, like tr- their first time, their dream trip of a lifetime. And it's like not great out there. You know what? It is what it is. Uh, most of our guests fully understand that we are at the end of the day farmers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just, you know, hope for the best. Typically, we don't have heinous, heinous conditions. Um, our guides are amazing at explaining what's going on. So if we're having a huge avalanche cycle, if it's low tide like it is this year, um, you know, we at least are able to get the guests out a bit. We have a very generous um, refund policy. So we have a, a guaranteed amount of vertical for depending on the lodge and the program, et cetera. Um, and if you don't reach that vertical, we will, we provide a bit of a refund um, so that guests know that we get it. Um, even to the point of, you know, if you have a, a really, really bad week, um, we, are, we are very kind. We also really encourage our guests to, uh, to buy insurance, more so not on the condition side, but more in terms of life happening. That's something that, uh, that our uh, beautiful brothers and sisters from Europe and the rest of the world are much more attuned to, whereas North Americans, we don't buy a lot of travel insurance, but I think that is changing. Um, but yeah, you know, we've got cross-country ski trails, um, snowshoes. We have hosted uh, all sorts of interesting uh, in-lodge Olympics, Olympic Games during down days, but uh, we're really fortunate in British Columbia to have way less down days than you would have, say, uh, up north in Alaska. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would assume you guys also sort of have like, you guys are farmers, you're farming snow and looking, because everyone's looking for clean, untracked, beautiful everything. 
but I got to assume um, your guides are so attuned to weather conditions, what's been happening over the last day, week, month, year, as far as the pack that they're like, okay, we can find, you know, in their head, they're like, we're going to this very specific spot and we'll find maybe not an entire, you know, 1500 meters of vert and pure pure untouched powder bowl but they're like we're gonna hit the trees here and it's gonna be amazing and they're just like the mountains are if anyone doesn't understand how big the mountains are uh do yourself a favor go do a, a heli hike and stand on the top of one of those mountains and your brain will explode mark and i and and julia have had since we were young kids the ability to ride up to the top of mountains and if you ride to the top of let's say moose mountain which is literally right outside of calgary it's the first real rocky mountain that exists it's the closest thing to us and you ride to the top of that and one it's like you're on the top of the moon we'll have producer jazz put up a picture of what that looks like up there um but it uh you get to see everything and it is huge like it's huge it's there's so much of everything like the terrains can be very, very vast. Um, and so one, if you've never seen it and you got the money, call up Julia's team and go, cause it's unreal. Like it is literally unreal. Uh, and again, I've, you know, haven't had the opportunity to heli, well, I've had tons of opportunity, but I haven't done it. Um, it is exceptional when you can get to the top of the mountain and look at it you you're a different person like really a different person it's your chance to do it and not crash an airplane and be stuck in the middle of the wilderness like in a terrible movie you can just do it and you've got people guiding you around it's unbelievable um speaking of that kind of stuff your guys safety um tracking snow conditions uh training the consumer in avalanche training is that a, is avalanche training a mandatory before they come okay it's, and then do you guys do daily checkups on their knowledge and stuff or how's that function when you guys get out there we don't require our guests to have done any avalanche any avalanche training prior to arriving with us but when they get to us doesn't matter whether this is your 20th trip or your first trip you are going to go through uh avalanche uh Transceiver training, um, we, we actually do stop in the field on the first day and do some work around uh, tree wells to show sort of the tree well risk and, and how you help get your tree buddy out uh, if that happens. Every single one of our guests carries a radio. Um, uh, we actually have a, a 206, a smaller machine that flies ahead of the groups that is a, a safety ship. So one of the guides or two of the guides are in that in that safety ship that they are going ahead of the groups to assess the snowpack. Um, sorry, sorry, back up. You lost me. So you have whenever you send out a helicopter, you send out a pre helicopter, and are you testing like snowpack, snowpack and landing zone and all yep. that sort of stuff yeah. just to make sure they're flying around. They're looking at the at the conditions on a daily basis. They wow. Are, uh, relaying information back to the guides that are with the guests talking about anything to, you know, heads up. This is a little funky. This is skiing really well, et cetera. This aspect we've actually um, 
created our own proprietary software uh, called Snowbase that we've been collecting data of, of the snowpack uh, and conditions within each of our areas. We've got over 3 million acres of skiable terrain in our in all of our tenures. So uh, since Snowbase has been uh, in existence, it's tracking that, it's tracking wildlife observations. It's like, uh, it's a pretty mind boggling uh, data collection. Um, our guests get uh, oriented around the helicopter. Again, doesn't matter whether this is your fifth or 20th trip or first trip, everybody goes through that same amount of training. Um, and then of course we uh, only employ ACMG guides. So that's the association of Canadian mountain guides. Gotcha. All of our certified uh, under the ACMG, which is one of the two internationally recognized bodies in the world. Um, amazing. Uh, are you guys, are your guides um, setting off uh, like avalanche bombs and doing that sort of stuff? Or do you guys just stay off? Like how much pro patrol level kind of like snow control are you guys doing out in the mountains in your, your least territories? That, that uh, the snow safety guides um, that are in the smaller 206, they are doing some avalanche control for sure. They throw bombs. So if people, if you've never seen it, um, look up uh, avalanche bombing um, on Google. I would assume you're going to find a ton of uh, stuff out there. But basically they're shooting, they're either planting explosives, rarely planting, but they'll be shooting uh, explosives off into what appears to be dangerous snowpack to get it to pre-slide before any consumer goes below it or around it in any way. And if you've never seen an avalanche, it is about the most serious business that you can ever, ever get entangled with. Like I've been, I've seen some small ones and they're frightening. Uh, and when that much snow gets moving, it can be like, an unstoppable amount of mayhem. So for your team to go out and control that, and obviously there's so many things about understanding snowpack and the education component of it and being able to interpret like with your um, proprietary software uh, to watch the data and understand what's happening within all the different layers of that snowpack that is then sitting on, you know, whatever percentage of grade uh, it is a legit science to, to be able to do it. Do you have a, do you have a single person jewels that, um, green lights stuff, or is it go through a committee or is it person on site? How do you guys make the decision? If you're like, eh, like I've been in the mountains enough where it's like, eh, it looks okay. I think it's okay. And you dig a pit and you're like, hmm. is there, is there a singular person that does that? Do you, what's your, how do you guys control that when it becomes a guides, human judgment thing? The guides work as a team within okay. each area. Um, in fact, from my knowledge, uh, any guide has veto power. And that and that is a really important uh, component to how we yes. act as a team. Anyone is saying, I'm not feeling comfortable, then we don't skip. So and a single descending, like single person saying no out of five, it's, then it's no, it's, just it's a no. immediately a no. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, okay. and again, I got to assume, and just everyone needs to realize that you've got a really expensive thing somewhere 
with a bunch of people that paid a bunch of money to do it. And the fact that, um, that a single person can say no and stop that and change the day and create a, whatever chain of events for refunds or whatever it may be. But when you're dealing legitimately with human lives, it's just, it's a no, that makes sense. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've been really moved and I'm, I'm blown away by the way in which our guiding teams work together. Uh, they will, they meet every morning uh, before going out into the field and then they, they meet in the evening. And then we have a call in actually that happens every single day that we're operating where all the lodges call into a uh, one central place and have a discussion around what they are seeing. We also provide information to the Canadian Avalanche Association or, or to Avalanche Canada, uh, which produces something called the InfoX. So then that information is being uh, shared across the entire industry, resort, cat, heli, uh, and then ultimately to individual recreationalists uh, on avalanche.ca. It's an extremely powerful tool. It's uh, I think it's a beautiful reflection of how safety oriented the entire industry is. Um, and it makes us all a lot smarter when we want to go into the backcountry. So, um, amazing. Yeah, it's great to hear that, that everyone works, works together like that and, and just shares that info for sure. What's, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's a really, uh, heli skiing is this really weird thing because as a skier or as a snowboarder, there's a certain moment in your, in your ski career that you're like, okay, heli skiing is on my radar, like, or cat skiing is on my radar. But, and I think I have this like great advantage of, of knowing what that was. I knew what that was when I was really young because my dad was a heli skier, but it is a really nebulous experience. And it's really first timers show up and they're like, Oh, the helicopter. And I got to bundle my skis and where's my gear. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of components and there's a lot of like unknowns. And, and I think my job and the job of my teams is really to break down all that mystery um, so that people are arriving, knowing what they're getting into, knowing that they have the skill set to to go heli skiing if they're good enough, or maybe they need uh, to spend a bit more time before they show up, um, right up to those multi-million footers to make sure that they know that we're really, really grateful that they're showing up. How many first timers do you have to look at and say, no selfies under the rotors? <laughs> <laughs> I got to assume that's a ton, just about there's, every one of them. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Well. It's okay to have a selfie, but maybe keep your hands down. Yeah. <laughs> so, not, none of this. Yeah. And your uh, chest cam, you can't really have your chest cam on because yeah, they that interferes with your transceiver. And at least put your phone in, in airplane mode because that also can interfere with yeah. yeah. A lot of rules, but for a very good reason. Sorry, Mark, you had a question. Uh, oh, oh, two questions, actually. Uh, how many days a year do you get up there? 
If you say over 10, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to bet the number is over 10. It's not? Oh, I would have, I would have guessed over 10. It depends on the year. Okay. Yeah. I would have thought for sure there was enough R&D to be done up there for, I don't know what each lodge is like when I'm creating the marketing for it, right? Yeah. The problem is Uh, there's never any seats. (laughs) And then what, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a number of, of factors that go into this time of year and, and which lodge, et cetera. But what would you say, uh, what's the average cost for for a trip? Well, actually, I, I, what's the average stay and then a, an approximate okay. cost? Because I think you can do a single day is definitively different than a four day or whatever it is. But what's the average stay? Uh, well, up until last September, a year ago in September, we only sold, we only had uh, four, five, and seven day trips, but then we purchased Purcell Heli Skiing, which has one, two, and three day. So uh, I will say, so for uh, our, for our signature program, um, you know, your average stay is about five days. Uh, But of course we do have one, two, and three now as well. Um, I would encourage people to come for more than one day because I think, I think you, you get that deeper experience. Um, you develop more of that camaraderie. Um, and on average for a five day trip, you are looking at anywhere from seven to $15,000, depending on the lodge, the program, if you're flying private, I mean, there's so many um, combinations and permutations time of year. Yeah. Um, And Julia, where do you guys, like, do you have most people flying into Calgary or where, where, how do you guys, like, where does the consumer come in to generally? We have two hubs, uh, Calgary International Airport and Kelowna International Airport. And I'd say almost, uh, I think we're at like 80 80% 80% of our guests fly into Kelowna now. And so uh, would they fly in and spend like first night in a small l- local hotel there and then kind of get looped in with you guys and then go out from that point? Is that sort of the standard? We pick our guests up, except at Kootenai uh, and at Purcell, we, we pick our guests up and, and transport them to the lodge. Again, um, we're seeing a little bit more of people driving their own their own vehicles or renting a car. Um, a creation of the icon pass has definitely helped that. So if you're, if you're an icon pass holder, you, uh, can ski, uh, or ride at ski big three or at Revelstoke for seven days to, and, and now Pano and red and sun peaks. So we're seeing a lot more people coming in and getting their ski legs or spending a couple days at one of the resorts using their icon pass and then going into the lodge. Uh, awesome. So they, they might have uh, a private vehicle, but by and large, most of our guests show up on a uh, on a bus with us. Amazing! And if you've never been there, Kelowna is amazing, and it's wine country, and it is an awesome city to to visit, and and a great experience all on its own. Kelowna is great. Great road cycling. Right, yeah, it's actually the best road cycling. And have you mountain bike there in Penticton and stuff? Mountain bike. I've mountain bike at Silver Star. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. That, that Penticton Valley, I've spent the last three, I think I spent three 
Thanksgivings there with my nephew, Zach, and it's unbelievable. It's super fun. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's a blast. Um, on the uh, Marketeers Clubhouse, I have a thing um, that we do, and it's the cool confessional, and I've said it before, a, a naked man can't be pickpocketed. And I'm not a person that likes to be bugged. And Jules, you've known me my whole life. I have done so many dumb and embarrassing things. And I like, I try to have a nice little veneer of, you know, a businessman or a cool person, but basically I'm a geek and a, and a kook. Um, so in the cool confessional today, which I invite both of you to join in, um, I haven't hellied because at, to your point, I fell face first into a tree well in Fernie on a big snow day and God love them. Uh, Jay Carter spent an hour and something getting me out of this tree well. And then I walked directly into a stream and fell into the stream and was then standing in water, looking up at Jay Carter about eight or nine feet above me. And it took us hours to get out of this space. And I am, uh, I have like this, even thinking of like from that point on, and you know, I've snowboarded a ton, a ton and a ton, like so much. I won't go over the, I won't pass the line on the resort. And like from that point on, I was like, nope, 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 nope. It scared the living shit out of me because if you've never wallowed around in mashed potato snow that you can't get a footing in it is the most frightening thing. And then if you're hanging upside down from your snowboard next to a pine tree, it is doubly scary. So I scared the shit out of myself. And I don't think I've ever told you that Mark, have I? Yeah. So I am like, no, I knew, I knew you were like not into that country, but I didn't have, uh, didn't know why. Yeah. It, I am so afraid of my own incompetence and I faced it straight on and thank again. Thank you, Jay Carter for getting me out. It, like, felt like I was going to die at that point. Um, I'm sure I wasn't, um, but it was frightening and literally scared me straight. So that's why I don't split board. Uh, although I would love it. That's why I don't own a snowmobile, although I would absolutely love it. And that's why I haven't ever stood, uh, on the deck and gotten into a helicopter to go heli skiing. So now, you know, cat skiing for some of the reason I've been able to get my head around a little bit. I think it's cause you're on the ground, although the risks are identical. Um, I just, uh, uh, for whatever reason, um, struggle with, with that now. So there's, there's my confessional, uh, snow scares me a lot. Um, and, uh, it's very much limited me. Maybe I'll go get hypnotized and get past that somehow. If there's a good hypnotist out there and you can fix this, here's a good opportunity. Uh, Marky, what do you got in the cool confessional today? Uh, this is one that Jim, you, you already know. And there's very few people that do know this, uh, but I had a, uh, an imaginary friend for, um, yes, I don't really know how long it was. Uh, and I'd actually forgotten about it for, for a number of years until my brother had told someone who used to work with us. Uh, but Jake would, uh, Jake would like sit beside <laughs> me on my chair at dinner. I would like sit on half the chair. So so Jake could share my, my chair at dinner. I think this is like, if I have to guess, it was, I'm four or five, I think at this point. Uh, I vaguely remember it. 
Um, <laughs> but the only thing I really remember is is the sitting on half the chair so he could he could share the the chair with me at dinner. That's amazing. There was quite a long period in time where we had a Jake at fifty four blue email address, and every once in a while, I thought of emailing Mark from Jake just so that he didn't miss his imaginary friend. And by the way, Julia, your reaction to Mark when he said that he had an imaginary friend, you went, yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. That's a beautiful one. And uh, I love it. One. Thank you for bringing that to the uh, cool confessional. Yeah. Uh, Julia, what do you got? I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to think of something that's like, oh, anyways, uh, so I am, I'm, I'm a relatively clean person, relatively. I would say actually I'm very clean, um, but I'm a bit of a mess. You know, I walk into my house and you can see where I've gone in the house because I like drop things. Anyways, I am quite obsessive compulsive about loading the dishwasher. Ooh. I cannot deal with weird things that don't fit in the, in the appropriate place. <laughs> I also think there's like some kind of obsession that I have with trying to get the most dishes into the dishwasher. So I'm like, the plates go here. The cutlery always needs to be a certain way. And in fact, to the point where uh, Andrew, my partner, is like, I'm not even going to bother because you're just going to go in and rearrange. Like, and I actually rearrange the dishwasher. It's Tetris. It's like real life Tetris. I'm the exact same way. Okay. Andrew, uh, if you're listening, uh, I won't load the dishwasher at my house either because Harper Lee comes in behind and reloads it every time. Or she'll open it and I'll be in the living room somewhere and I'll just hear, oh, and I'll, I'll just start chuckling. I'm like, really? Really? What's wrong? She's nothing. This is fine. fine. And then I can hear everything getting moved around and I just think it's hilarious. So whenever I do load the dishwasher, I load it and instantly start it. So she can't come and check it. That's my move. And so then like, if something breaks, it's on me, but like generally nothing breaks, but like, I, I, I feel that. So, uh, amazing. Okay. So you're a maniac, like, like my wife with dishwasher. So congratulations. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, Julia, thank you uh, for giving us a glimpse into what you do. Um, CMH is amazing and we're blessed to have it in Canada. It's an awesome thing if you get a chance uh, and you have the economy to do so. It is a trip that you will never forget. Um, I know so many people that do it. I'm not one that has done it, although I've experienced those mountains in a million different ways. So I know what you're going to get when you get up to the top. Uh, you should go do it. And from everyone that we know that we've ever met through CMH, um, the team is top notch. Like uh, you're going to get a consumer experience like you've never seen. So keep up the good work um, and uh, fingers crossed and the classic Calgary pray for snow. Uh, we are hoping you guys get a great back half of the season. Um, and I'm sure you guys will, uh, and that your guests have an amazing, uh, 2023 up in the Hills. So thank you. And I uh, appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks for uh, showing up and, uh, asking a bunch of great questions. Thanks I guys. Say, I want to say thanks very much. And I thank you both for your friendship and support all these years. It is kind of crazy when I think about how long we've all known each other. 
It's a long time, but but we're all awesome. So why wouldn't we be friends? Right? I'm really awesome attracts awesome. I love it. Like the super friends. Okay. Enjoy the day, everyone. Thank you. We'll talk. uh, We'll talk again. Talk to you later. See ya.